we are unlimited beings and to live without limitation. Do what you really want to do in life. I believe we're spiritual beings and it's in our nature to live in unlimited ways. So just, you know, figure out how to do what you want to do. And if you need support, get support because we live in a really amazing time when you can get assistance with almost any issue you might have. Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, Episode 517. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and I'm so happy that you're here to join us today. And I'm thrilled to introduce Allison Franz from Paradigm Shift. Allison is a transformational healer and coach. And Allison, I'm so just thrilled to have you here. And I can't wait to just dive in. Hi. Yes, my pleasure to be here. I would love to know how you got into what you are doing. I know that you've been self-employed since 2008, but how did that journey actually get started? Did I, I told you I stack questions. Did you see yourself being self-employed like as a child or what did you want to be? That's a great question. So, you know, I think my nature was always to be a healer and a helper. However, I resisted it for a long time until probably around halfway through college. And then I started working as a therapist, you know, after I after I graduated, you know, I initially was a social worker and then I went on to be a therapist and I didn't know I was going to be an entrepreneur. The way my journey happened was that I actually happened to speak Spanish and I live in a community where there's a big shortage of Spanish speaking therapists. And I was approached by someone who told me that if I wanted to go into private practice, he'd be willing to be my mentor. And that was because the need was so great for, you know, Spanish speaking in private practice. And so I said, okay, I didn't do it immediately. But within about a year, I decided that I wanted to give it a try. He seemed to feel like, you know, it was going to be very easy for me to do this transition. And of course, the transition was a little harder than I uh, imagined, but it was totally doable. And my practice definitely filled quicker than uh, the average practice, given that I was bilingual and there was a lot of need for that. And then my journey. Allison, uh, as I a- just want to, I mean, where were you living at the time? Because I know you're in Rhode Island now. Were you in Rhode Island then? Yes. And that's not typically where, I mean, I'm from the Northeast myself. I'm from Rochester, New York. I looked at schools in Providence. I was going to go to RISD. But that is not a community that I would have naturally thought of as a as a big Spanish-speaking community. So I could see how the need would be there. Yeah. Well, what's really interesting is that everyone in the world, pretty much, other than people who live in Rhode Island, think that Rhode Island is full of all white people. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> and it's the furthest thing from the truth. You know, we're right smack in between Boston and New York. And we get a lot of diversity. And Providence is probably like 60 to 70 percent Latino. And, I would have never thought that. Yeah. And can I, uh, I, I need to confess that the reason I didn't go to Providence for school 
mm-hmm. was because I felt it was too white, like and too historic, just <laughs> too much brick. And so uh-huh. I went to Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. I mean, I was accepted to RISD. I mean, in and it constantly competes for number one art school in the country. But it was, just, I, I guess, I was just a naive like seventeen, eighteen year old. Yeah, it's pretty funny. RISD is a prestigious school. Brown is a prestigious school. And there is definitely, you know, less diversity there than at the community college. But, oh, um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you could within go two miles from those schools and it's a whole different world. <laughs> really? Well, yeah. I also had to put out there that that wasn't the only contributing factor. They told me I had no chance of getting financial aid. And I said, well, uh-huh. then do you have no chance of getting any money? <laughs> well, I'm sure that that helped too. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, when it's $40,000 a year in 1997, that's not going to work for me. Yeah. It's crazy. Their prices. So yeah, but it, it happens all the time. People go, what? Rhode Island? Who, you know, they're in shock. I'm like, Providence is more diverse than where you live, you know? But yeah, we have tons of diversity here and the, probably Latino is like the primary but in all different countries, you know, we have a lot from the Caribbean and Central America, South America. We have a lot, a lot of diversity here. And I love it. It's really great. I really loved my work with the Latino community. This is uh, this is where my head's going right now. I, I think it probably means that I'm hungry I'm, when I'm not trying to give a hint to my husband, who's actually just in my office right now and an amazing cook. But I would have to think that the food would be even better, too. I know that's such a, you know uneducated or un. Mm. She's right though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I'm hungry, my thoughts tend to go towards food. I need to start. I need to learn to start eating before podcasts. But what is your background? So I'm born here, and I come from a very diverse family background, although my parents are born here. We're really a little bit of everything, and I have cousins that either live or are ethnically, you know, just about anything you can think of. So my family has a tendency for diversity. And really when I learned Spanish was kind of on the fly. You know, I knew French when I was a little kid. Uh, My grandmother spoke French. And I think that kind of opened me up to languages. And I have a tendency to pick up languages a little easier than probably the average person. And I think that has to do with knowing some French at a young age. And obviously, I don't think I would probably learn Japanese as quick. But languages that are kind of similar to French, I tend to pick up kind of quick. And um, having a lot of friends and being around Spanish all the time combined with working in at a place called the Providence Center, which is sort of a very diverse population to to work with there. You know, I was kind of thrown into working with a lot of families who spoke Spanish and that just really upped my skills quick. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure. And I'm sure it expanded your vocabulary as well. Anything that you didn't know, you learned very fast. Yeah. Yeah. And I also have spent quite a bit of time in Mexico. So that has helped as well. Oh, awesome. I'm actually looking to go there next year, possibly. My husband and I still haven't taken our honeymoon. So yeah. we're, we're going back and forth between somewhere t- tropical and the, and the Motel 6 down the street. 
<laughs> well, I yeah. love Mexico. I can't say enough about it. I'll go any chance I have. And I'm, you know, I'm a hot water, I'm a hot water, hot weather person. And I'll go anywhere that's warm. But, you know, Mexico is probably my favorite place to go. So. Oh, I'm going to have to pick your brain on that then later. Okay. Yeah, okay, sure. So, so you opened your practice in your practice and still working your other job at the same time. And what did that transition look like? Well, uh, it was an interesting transition. The way I I left my practice, yeah, I totally did just up and leave it. And, well, not my practice, my job at the Providence Center. I gave my notice and my plan was that I was going to go to Mexico for a month and then come back and be self-employed. <laughs> and I did just that. So, yeah, that was pretty much the transition plan. And you did and, just that? Yeah, I did. That is a atypical entrepreneurial statement because usually it's like this happened this happened this happened and now six years later I'm finally full-time you know doing it well one of the things that I attribute to that is that I was 28 so I think that like earlier in life you have a tendency to just like take more risks and not really think about things as thoroughly you know and so yeah I just made the plunge however I also grew up, you know, my father was a business person. He owned businesses growing up. So it was kind of normal to me. You know, when I was very young, he had an ice cream business and that was his second job. And then later on, he owned a, a hair salon and that was his primary gig. So an ice cream business in a hair salon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So was it an ice cream truck or like an actual walk in, get ice cream? No, I'm not asking from the hum- hungry stomach right now. I, I sort of had a witty second question depending on how you answer okay it was like a just it was an ice cream shop you couldn't you didn't go in but you'd go to the window okay and so it was just a a little ice cream shop you'd go in and go to the window and they'd you know give you whatever you wanted I was wondering because it actually would sound really amazing to be able to get my hair done and eat ice cream at the same time oh (laughs) sometimes you know depending on where the bangs are and all that but yeah yeah, that is. That, you know what? He could have combined them. Too bad they were in different towns. Totally could have. <laughs> now, yeah. my first business that I opened in 2005 was a, a scrapbooking, online scrapbooking re- retailer. Mm-hmm. And I was looking into physical locations. I'm I'm now in Dayton, Ohio, although I was born and raised in Rochester, New York. Even here in Dayton, Ohio, like the, the spaces that I wanted, because when I was still in the career, I was an interior architect. So I was looking at it from the interior eye. I didn't want a dumpy space. I wanted a, like a really cool space. But I was going to make a scrapbooking shop slash coffee shop. Because mm-hmm. I thought it would be awesome for the moms who finally get a moment to get away from their kids that they can sit, scrap and drink coffee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Yeah, but the spaces were all just way too expensive. I'm so glad I didn't do that. I I already went a, like a hundred thousand in debt with that business. I'm glad I didn't go another hundred thousand. And that business is long since gone. Thank goodness. Yeah. So, Sounds what did like, the growth look like for you? Okay, so my business is now transitioned into something else. So I've actually gone through kind of like two sort of growth transitions. I love that. So. Actually, not actually when I really think about it, I've gone through a couple. So at the beginning of uh, my business, you know, the way it was, you know, I was told that I could grow my business initially was as a consulting clinician for a local program 
that had a need for, you know, clinicians who are bilingual. And so I initially, you know, came on as a consultant to them, but that their actually their paperwork process was like really long and lengthy. And so I ended up just kind of doing my own thing too. That was going to be kind of part of my practice that I was going to be a consultant to them and have my own clients. And I ended up leaving that gig pretty quickly and just doing everything on my own. And, you know, luckily I had I was pretty well known in the community because there weren't a lot of Spanish speaking therapists and I had worked, done a lot of work in the community already and people were familiar with me. So I did get a lot of referrals from people who knew me. And then, you know, I had, and then people who started to know me from others who knew me, I got a lot of word of mouth referrals. And then there were certain people who were just always looking for bilingual clinicians who would just call me over and over again. Amazing. Word of mouth often produces better results than just cold. Do you agree? I mean, for me, yeah. anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's interesting because now nowadays people Google stuff and a lot of people do get information from Google, but there's just something about a word of mouth referral. I still to this day get a lot of word of mouth referrals def- despite the fact that I'm on the internet and many sites. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is completely random, but I actually had to call a company this morning about our furnace. Mm -hmm. And for the first time ever, I mean, well, I use Google. I always go to Google first. And I click the phone number and I dialed in Google Hangouts, which I've never done before. And the lady says, I don't think anybody's ever called us through the computer before, which is just so funny. I mean, in this in this digital age, I wonder how many phone calls we get that are actually coming through the computer, not Skype like you and I are chatting but with the ease of a click of a button, we can now call almost anywhere through our computer, which is amazing. Yeah, it totally is. You know, yeah. the virtual thing has, you know, really changed life. <laughs> oh, yeah. So you you were doing therapy. And then what was your first transition out? And how did that come about? Okay, so I build my practice up full time. And a couple years into it, I actually got an offer from one of the places that I was consulting for to do more work for them. So then I actually built down my practice, my private practice, so I could do work for them also. And so then I transitioned my practice down and I did kind of like a half and half thing. And then I decided that I wanted to go back to private practice and but do things really different. And so then I built my practice back up again. And then I decided to completely move into transformational healing and coaching instead of psychotherapy. So then that was another transition. Allison, I'm curious what you decided to do differently when you transitioned back to full-time versus half and half. Like, What did you learn and what did you experience that inspired you doing things differently? Well, I was really doing a lot of work on myself. You know, I had gone through a really hard time in 2009, the year right after I went into private practice, I lost my dad. And that got me on a journey of just really, you know, looking at myself and looking at my life and really realizing how much I needed to heal. And by the time I was working at that job and wanting to transition 
back into my practice, but in a different way. I'd done a lot of spiritual work on myself and I was just feeling a real, like an inner calling to go back and do things differently and to really work with the people that I was meant to work with versus just, you know, putting the word out there, hey, I'm back, you know, and just letting everything come to me. It just, I really felt a longing in my heart to really serve the people who really needed me most. So more impact. Yes. 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 Yeah. I can feel that. When I started the Sutton companies in 2012, and it was all about the money. And then I had a crash because I was, I was, always pursuing the next dollar or even the next penny. I got to be totally honest. We were struggling financially. So I was just always looking where the next dollar was going to come from. And then sleep deprivation set in. And when I awoke from that, I realized it needed a change. I'm doing my business for the wrong reasons. Not that income shouldn't be a focus. It needs to be a focus if we're going to live. But why was I actually doing what I was doing? And I realized I had no why. Like, I'm not trying to get all like Simon Sinek on us, but what was my why? And why was I compelled to do it? And when I finally figured out where I wanted to go and why I wanted to do it, it was like, bang. And income and impact both happened as a result. Yeah. And I think that's such a really big myth that is out there that the way to make money is to focus on money. I think, you know... Money is just an exchange of energy and really focus on love, you know, loving your people and loving what you do and how much love can you bring to the world. And that's really where, you know, income is. And if you don't focus on that, you can end up in like this sort of never ending scarcity mindset that just has you waiting for the next dollar and waiting for the next dollar. Oh my gosh, I was going to say that. Yeah, because it's not necessarily thinking about manifesting money and how you're going to have more. But often when you're focused on money, then you're thinking about what you don't have. Allison, we're going to take a quick break for a word about our own offerings and we'll be right back. Are you thinking about launching a podcast soon or do you already have a podcast? This is Kim Sa, and I wanted to take a quick second to let you know about the podcast production services that my team within Positive Productivity is now offering. From editing through marketing and everything in between, we offer complete packages starting at only $450 a month. All you have to do is record. To learn more about our podcast production services, head on over to positiveproductivity.net and we can get you started as soon as today. Welcome back, listeners. We are in a conversation with Alison Franz, who's a transformational healer. Alison, thank you so much for that short break. We were talking about scarcity and money mindset. And I think it's just so fascinating how people will talk about the law of attraction and how we need to focus on what we want. But often focusing on what we do want is accompanied by focusing on what we don't want. And that can just lead us, especially in money, further into debt. Yes, absolutely. I think that, you know, there's there's so much fear that can come up when you're an entrepreneur, you know, all those things that we went through prior in life come up, even the things that we're not thinking about anymore. So, mm-hmm. you know, any of that 
any rejection we felt when we were a kid, feeling like we're not accepted as a kid, anything that was unpleasant and brought up some kind of fear on us will come out when you're an entrepreneur. And once you get all those emotions coming up, you start, it's easy to let that, you know, start driving some of your thoughts and actions. And that's when you get into the scarcity mindset. You know, you, it's like, uh oh, you know, this is not growing as fast as I thought it was going to. Maybe nobody likes me and this isn't going to work. So then it's like, where's the money? Where's the money? Where's the money? You know? Yep. Oh my gosh. I've been right there. So in 2009, you you lost your father. My condolences on that. And I know now you have Paradigm Shift and thegriefcure.com. Did the grief cure come out of the loss of your father? Yes. So basically, you know, what I do now is really based on what I've done in my own life. Uh, to make a very long story short, you know, the loss of my dad, which was a huge trauma for me, actually turned out to be a blessing in disguise because yeah. it forced me to really go deep and really look at myself and look at all the places in me that were unhealed and really forced me to heal them and then grow and really become the person that I am today that has a career that she loves and gets to help people in miraculous ways, really. You know, it's really just been a huge, huge blessing, even though it was a horrible, devastational nightmare <laughs> when it when it initially happened. Yeah. Sorry to be getting so nosy here. Was it an accident or did he fall ill? No. Okay. So my father, he was ill for, for several years, but he always surprised the doctors. So we just ignored everything. And then he did have an illness, but he didn't die of his illness. He had a heart attack. Wow. So, you know, for, for like the first five years he was sick, it was like, you know, every time something happened or he was in the hospital, we were all prepared for the worst. But, you know, he lived with that for like, I believe 12 or 13 years. And so after year five, you know, they told us, oh, he's probably only going to live for five years. And then five years went by, six years went by, seven years went by, eight years went by. And it was just like life is normal, you know. Right. So we did, We were not expecting that at all. No, you know, there sure. was, you know, a heart attack is not usually something that you're, you know, oh, he's probably going to have a heart attack next week, you know. Right, right. Well, you said that your dad had two businesses of his own and in the true spirit of an entrepreneur, I'm sure there was a chance for others as well, if they didn't actually happen. But as an entrepreneurial parent, what do you think he thought about you also becoming an entrepreneur? Did he support it? Or was he scared for you considering he had already been through it? I think he was, I think he was happy for me. I totally do. So he he died one year into my journey. Mm -hmm. So but I, I do think that he liked it. You know, I don't think he ever fully he was pretty old school. I don't think he ever really even fully understood what I did for a living. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I definitely thought, you know, that he liked it. You know, of course, what he did was much more sort of like, you know, basic everyday stuff, you know, owning an ice cream shop or a salon, you right. know. And brick and mortar is, I mean, especially considering where you've evolved to now nearly a decade later, brick and mortar is so much different than the online space. And I, I think yeah. that's where some of the concern for my parents comes about because they're worried, you know, how are you doing this? Like they don't understand the online 
entrepreneurial space. My dad had a grocery store for a while and it wasn't, you know, there were no delivery trucks. It was a corner store, not much bigger than your local convenience store. And there just would have been no online market. Well, I guess there could have been. People could have placed their orders online. He could have bagged it and it would have been ready when they got there. But his business was a decade ago too. And that just wasn't really a thing then. Yeah, well, those were the days of location, 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 right? Right. right. His town had four corners and his store was on one of them. So, yeah, that that was it. Yeah, it was all about location. Now it's SEO. Oh, don't get me started on that. I was actually at Amazon last night looking for books on Google Analytics and SEO. And listeners, you know I talk about the stuff that we shouldn't be doing. After about 30 minutes, my eyes crossed. I was looking at all the reviews because I wanted to make sure I got the best book. And all of a sudden, it was like I got a virtual slap or a, a universal slap. like A Zen slap, maybe? Yeah, a Zen slap. Like, <laughs> cut it out, Kim. You know this is not your priority. You can hire somebody to take care of that for you. You don't need those books. You're going to get bored out of your mind by them. Get off of Amazon and get back to the work that you really should be doing. So I did. I was like, thank goodness. Because I was looking at like another $100 of books. I don't need any more books. Well, I, yes, I do, but not those. Right. Yeah. There is so much to learn on an online business. It's just, I'm constantly learning myself and I still always feel like I'm about a hundred steps behind. So Mm. what's the one thing that you would like to learn right now, but you know that you shouldn't be doing it in your business, like you yourself actually performing that role? I mean, I would love to, you're saying if the sky is the limit and I could have any magical skill. (laughs) Well, I like to know how to do everything in my business, but I don't want to do it all. So like bookkeeping, I really don't want to do it, but I at least want to know how to enter the numbers in QuickBooks. Right, right, right. If I have to. But honestly, I really don't want to, but I just want to know, I want to know how to do it. So what is a similar for you? What would you like to know how to do that you don't already, but you have no intention of ever doing that task in the future? I think I'd I'd really like to know more about, you know, what really happens online, because I feel like there's so many gaps between what's going on and what I actually know is happening. So, for instance, like I get, you know, an email from Google every month telling me how many people Googled me. But then I wonder how many people typed in my website, you know, or how many people look for me, you know, on LinkedIn or Facebook or YouTube, you know. So I'm just curious what really happens online. You know, what is, you know, what's the activity and, and, you know, what are people looking for? And if people are really, you know, understanding my message, you know, are people going to my website and stand and staying there for like 20 seconds and leaving? Or are there people, you know, Or is everybody who's going there like really interested in reaching out? I don't know those things, but I I would love to know the answer to those mysteries. And I'd love to be able to learn what, you know, the skills that it would take to learn those things, because I'm sure there's many. I'd probably have to learn about things like SEO, keywords, pixels, all kinds of stuff. But yeah, I would love to be able to just know like what really goes on online. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Google used to have a keyword tool. I don't know if they still have it, but you you would be able to see like the frequency of searches. So 
In my case, though, there is actually another Kim Sutton out there. That's why my website is the Kim Sutton and not KimSutton.com. And she's like a world-renowned mathematician, which is funny to me because I don't want anything to do with math. Uh-huh. Both of my parents were accountants. I think that's why I want nothing to do with math. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you can, there are ways to do that, but I don't want to get into that here. What are you most excited about in your business in the next 90 days? Well, a lot of things related to my book. So I just released my book, The Grief Cure, in August. Uh, it's going to be going to print after the new year. Then it's going to be going to audiobook, and it will be in bookstores in 2019. So I'm very excited about that. And I'm also excited about two new programs that I have. The Grief Cure program, which I've had out a couple of months now, and also another program that is a longer program that I'm super, super excited about called Your Highest Self, which is designed to help people become their highest and best self in uh, 12 months. So I love that it's a 12 month program because we hear about those programs that are like seven days to a better self. It's like, really? You can't even. And then there's people who say that in 28 days you can create a new habit. But if you dig a little bit deeper and actually do the research, It doesn't take 28 days. It takes something like 66 days or something. So seven days to a better self. Yes, I stuck to my diet for 16 days and then I fell off the wagon and I'm trying to put myself back on right now. It really does take time. Yeah, you know, it's it's an interesting thing, you know, so I think I think that change in general happens much easier and quicker than people think. However, maintaining that change, doing what it takes to to maintain that change and continue to grow, you know, and in particular with my particular program, it's about really growing in every area of your life. So it really takes 12 months for us to, you know, figure out what are all the blocks that are holding you back in all these different areas of your life. And then, you know, then we need to spend more time really jumping forward in those areas after the blocks are removed. Is forgiveness and blame or the removal of blame part of your program? Because I've seen so many people that get stuck in holding other people accountable for where they are today. That's a great question. So one of the things that we we work on in my programs is, you know, just really letting go of what I call, you know, the lower self stuff, which is all that lower vibration energy going on for you. And so that is guilt and shame and blame. Uh, Those are the big ones, you know, because they really, really take us out of our power and our truth. So yeah, that is a big part of uh, barriers that people face. And that's always something that, you know, when you're step taking a step forward in life, you got to let go of that stuff. Amen to that. Mm-hmm. I know people who got divorced 30, 35, 40 years ago, who are still holding on and blaming it for where they are today. Yeah, it's really too bad because, you know, that keeps you stuck. Yeah. You know? I mean, I'm 39. And when their divorce happened, before I was even born, I know what I was able to accomplish. And, you know, 18 years of that was adolescence. And it took another 10 years to actually grow up after that. Is it just me? Or was that? Well, you were 28 when you started. You said you were 28 when you started your business? Yep. Yeah, I'm 38 now. Okay, I'm 39. I don't feel like I actually grew up until I was 31. 
despite having my first child at 24, I was a kid having a kid. And I, mm-hmm. it scares me to think that there are teenagers having kids. And I'm not saying, I'm not judging here, but I just know that I felt like a kid at 24. I can't imagine a you know, 14, 15 year old having a kid. But yeah, I was 31 until I, or before I actually felt like I was somewhat adulting. I still don't feel like I'm adulting. Do you feel like you're adulting? <laughs> um, a little bit sometimes. <laughs> I mean, and yeah. I don't know that I actually want to adult. I know there's yeah. responsibilities, but I want life to be fun. I completely agree. And do you look at your business as a job or how do you look at it? I think I see it as a, a just a part of my life, you mm-hmm. know, like I just I have so much love for the work I do and the people I see every day. It's really just such a privilege. I feel like so honored to be able to do what I do. And it's just I feel like it's just a part of me. It's a part of my heart. It's part of who I am. And I'm just I'm just so glad to be doing it. And if I really, truly thought of it as a job, I think that would be horrible. <laughs> and like even my coworkers, you know, like I have two people who work for me. I have a third person coming on board in the near future. And, you know, I'm very informal. It's important to have fun at work, you know. Amen to that. Yes. Yes. So, yeah, I just I think it's just so important to just really love your job and and to love what you do and to just be willing to have a good time and, you know, relax and not get so worried. I mean, you know, as humans, right, sometimes we get caught up on things that we really don't need to get caught up on. But, you know, if for the most part we can kind of stay in like, you know, a tranquil state of mind, you know, then you're able to enjoy what you do so much more and in, and enjoy the people you work with and the people who work for you. What has been one or two of the biggest elements that have made your team successful? I think that I work really hard to be understanding and to look at things from other from the other person's point of view and most of all I try to remember everyone's innocence. So even when someone does something that maybe I don't agree with, or maybe I even feel hurt by something that was said, or I think, you know, how could you look at it like that? Like, I see it totally different. You know, I just got to always remember this is like, this is a loving human being who's innocent and, you know, their best thinking resulted in whatever they said or did and then my best thinking resulted in my reaction right now (laughs) so absolutely the pillars of positive productivity are system support and Mm self-care and my team has grown from one to eight this year 2018 and they are complete rock stars they will tell me when i need to stop working They will tell me that they are canceling appointments because they know I don't feel well. And if I don't take that time off, I mean, do as I say, not as I do people. Self-care is one of the three pillars, but I, my business is my sixth child. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it gets more attention than all other five combined. (laughs) Well, Mm -hmm. not sometimes, all the time. I mean, considering it's getting eight hours a day for me and my kids don't. 
Wow, I just gave myself mama guilt. But anyway, mm-hmm. you know, my team will actually tell me when I need to get away. And I actually had to dish it back out to a team member this this week. She didn't feel well. She was trying to push it. I was like, take time off or you're fired. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because you're not going to be yourself if you keep on pushing yourself. Yeah, totally. I completely agree. You know, uh, there does have to be balance. And for me, I feel like I'm really fortunate in the sense that I've pushed myself so much out of my comfort zone so many times that I have a pretty high threshold. And when I get to that point where I'm like, okay, I can't do any more today or tonight, I feel like my intuition kicks in. Something just tells me, okay, stop. You know, so I, it's a really big blessing to kind of have that internal trigger, but I can just kind of feel in myself. I think sometimes it's like, okay, I've absorbed as much as I can for today and now I'm no longer productive. (laughs) Allison, how has your personal life changed since you started your business? And I know this is a really nosy question, but are you married or have a significant other? Do you have children? And in follow up to that, if you do, how do you make sure that you're getting adequate time with them? So um, when I was first in my journey, you know, so I have a younger brother who's kind of like a child to me. And uh, he was still in high school when my father passed. And I totally did work around, you know, my schedule worked around his so that I was able to give him the support that he needed when my father passed. Um, He went through a super hard time those first three or four years. and, and, And he still has a hard time with it sometimes. But yeah, it was, I really had to build my life around what was going on with him for a few years, but there was still a lot of flexibility. You know, I think we often have more flexibility than you think. And so, you know, my focus was on him for years and now he's, uh, now he's in his twenties. So I don't have to focus on that anymore. So I'm really fortunate that I can put all my energy in my business now. I think that's a transformation just in itself recognizing the flexibility. Yeah. So, yeah. And, you know, another thing that's been huge for me is really putting my energy into, uh, you know, putting all of my energy. Sorry, I'm having a brain fart right now. I gave you mine. It's okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Positive productivity where brain farts, typos and bloopers are welcome. Okay. So, you know, I think it's just super important to, um, sorry, what was the question? (laughs) My husband heard me say I was hungry and he went and made me an omelet. That was so not appropriate. Okay. We were just talking, how has your personal life changed? Uh, Do you have a significant other or kids and and how do you make sure that, that they get adequate time? And then I'd also love to know, how do you make sure that you get adequate me time? And I know that often, or see, I'm stacking Mm -hmm. again. I know that often we love our our businesses so much that it doesn't feel like it's not me time, but it really isn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I've been in some relationships on this journey. And I think that one of the most important things is finding a partner that's going to really support you on your journey. And so I don't have kids. And I did recently just end a relationship. But I think it's super, super important to be with someone who really supports your journey and to figure out where is that sweet spot between 
the type of support you need and the type of values that you need in a partner, things like that, I think are just super, super important. In my particular case, I feel like I have like a really big mission in this lifetime. So I've been really particular about, you know, the type of partner that I'm looking for. And I don't have children. You know, I had my brother who I had for several years, who is my priority. He's my son from a past life. So he was my priority for a while. And then when he, you know, left the nest, you know, I had more freedom to sort of just do what I wanted to do. That's beautiful. And I completely agree about finding that support person, that significant other, or even team members who's going to understand and support your mission and your vision. And I found mine on Craigslist. Just saying. <laughs> you know what? I found my assistant on Craigslist too. <laughs> I'm actually talking about my husband. Oh, you did? Oh, <laughs> I thought you were talking about your team. Oh my gosh. No, I actually, I made a soulmate spec sheet and I was on Craigslist leaving the first husband who was absolutely as unsupportive of my business as anybody possibly could be. So I was on there looking for furniture and saw this little link that said men looking for women. And I had no intention of finding anybody. I was still married, to be totally honest. And I'm always very transparent and authentic. And I won't deny that. Yes, I was married when I accidentally stumbled across my husband's ad. But I did. Full disclaimer, I did say, if you're still single in six months, please repost your ad because I'm about to go through a divorce. It didn't end up that way. We met two days later. But yeah. I'm still alive. I did not meet the Craigslist killer. And wow. life is good. Yeah. That's awesome. I didn't even know Craigslist did that. Yeah. You got to be really careful, though, because there are definitely a lot of people who are just looking for the one night stands. And no, I did not do that. Okay. And I had no, okay. but I had a, I had a spec sheet for my perfect mate. If I was ever going to date again, here's what I'm looking for. And it was something like, it was 50 something items long. And I just decided this week that I want to do that for my business as well. That's Here, a great idea. Yeah. Sort of like a business bucket list. Mm. Because yeah, I like that. Everything that I just about everything that I wanted on the soulmate spec sheet I have in my husband, except for a few really obnoxious things that I realized after the fact that I really, well, I didn't need. And now that I don't have them, I really didn't want them. Like I wanted somebody who could do that really loud sports whistle. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's an interesting trait. Yeah. There were just some random ones like that on there and he can't, or I can't even remember another one that he can't do or doesn't have, but I don't know why I put that on there. And I'm glad he can't because he would probably be doing it all the time to the kids. And that would drive me crazy, especially when I'm podcasting. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What is, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but you've got no, me okay. thinking now. What is one bucket list item that you have for your business and one bucket list item that you have for you? Hmm. That's a, I've never been one for bucket lists, but all right, let me think about this. So, you know, I definitely, you know, plan to grow my business into a much larger one. And, you know, so I, I mean, I don't know if you'd consider this a bucket list, but you know, I definitely want to be able to grow into sort of like an empire. <laughs> and, you know, right now I'm, you know, still at the point where, you know, we're laying the foundation for that. 
but you know, that's really my big vision. And so it's really not as specific because like, like I'm super spiritual. So I have like sort of like this faith in what I need, you know, rather than attaching to particular outcomes or particular things. I like to just like kind of go with the flow, obviously not just flow in any old direction, but, you know, just really keep the energy positive and, and, you know, flow with that and see, you know, what the universe can bring me because usually it's the things that it brings me are better than what I could have imagined. So I like to keep that sort of open-ended. And on my personal bucket list, I think, well, I have some travel that I'd like to do. I definitely want to go to Bali and I'd also like to go to Africa. So those are two personal bucket list things I'd like to do. Awesome. Listeners, I want to invite you to go over to my website at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP517 and share your personal and your business bucket list items in the comments area below the website. Also, if you had an aha moment, share it right there. Allison, this has been such a fun conversation. Thank you for putting up with me and my mouthful of omelet. (laughs) But it's been so enjoyable. And I want to just thank you again for sharing your journey and the changes that have happened. Where can listeners find you online, connect and get to know more about you? Uh, you can get a free copy of my book at thegriefcare.com. And I'm also on social media. And uh, my main website is paradigmshiftri.com. Fabulous. Again, listeners, all the links will be in the show notes, which you can find at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP517. Allison, I'd love to know if you have a parting piece of advice or a golden nugget that you can share with listeners. I think the biggest golden nugget is to just remember that we are unlimited beings and to live without limitation. Do what you really want to do in life. I believe we're spiritual beings and it's in our nature to live in unlimited ways. So just, you know, figure out how to do what you want to do. And if you need support, get support because we live in a really amazing time when you can get assistance with almost any issue you might have. So just take advantage of it because 25 years ago, there was no Google. If you had a problem and nobody knew you knew how, uh, knew how to solve it, you were kind of stuck with it, but now you don't. You can pretty much Google almost anything and come up with a solution. Invest into yourself time or money or whatever it takes. Uh, You're going to have to go outside your comfort zone to really, you know, live in those unlimited ways that we're meant to live. But it's worth it because everything that's worth living for, in my opinion, is outside your comfort zone. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level.